What makes a great solar business? How can you learn from the past and prepare for the future so your solar business thrives? My name is Nigel Morris and we set out to answer these questions and more. Welcome to Great Solar Business, proudly brought to you by Solar Juice. Well, welcome back to Great Solar Business, my friends. Um, this week, let's talk about the cost of solar. The cost of solar has plummeted, making solar more affordable than ever for consumers. Can solar costs go even lower? And is that a good thing for your solar business? This week, we'll try to answer the question, how cheap can solar be with our esteemed guest, Dr. Martin Green from the University of New South Wales. Martin, welcome to Great Solar Business. Oh, thank you very much, Nigel. You're, you're most welcome. It's an honour to have you here. Um, now, if you're in solar and you don't know who Dr. Martin Green is, let me briefly illuminate you. Martin Green is a, is a Scientia professor at the University of New South Wales, Sydney, director of the Australian Centre for Advanced Photovoltaics, involving several other uni universities from Australia and research groups. His group's contribute contributions to photovoltaics are well known and include holding the record for silicon solar cell efficiency for 30 of the last 37 years would you believe described as one of the top 10 milestones in the history of solar solar photovoltaics they invented the perk cell have set countless records and have won a host of prestigious international awards the performance, price and massive selection of solar manufacturers and solar panels we enjoy today is largely down to Martin and his team. Martin, I think we collectively owe you a beer, maybe a couple of beers. <laughs> oh, thank you. I look forward to collecting them. <laughs> now, I'm going to go off script just for a second here because it's... it's um, Many years since uh, I was uh, uh, honoured to share a, a podium with you, um, Martin, but um, all those years ago, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, did you ever imagine that PV prices would be where they are today? I guess I always thought it'd be cheap one day, but I think everything has happened uh, a lot more quickly than I ever expected. So uh, we got to where I hope we'd get to, but a lot more quickly uh, than I ever thought possible. <laughs> I, well, you know, I think it's caught everybody by surprise. Certainly uh, over the years, all the forecasts that I looked at and were involved with and I was given, uh, no one ever guessed we'd be where we are today. But let's get down to it. Um, they've plummeted, solar costs have plummeted over uh, my time and, and certainly your time in solar. What are the main things behind those cost reductions, Martin? It, it, you know, what, what, what are the you know, top three things that have driven these massive cost reductions that we've seen? Yeah, well, a, a very reliable one is just economies of scale. So as you make more of the cells, they get cheaper, you know, regardless of whether you improve the technology or not. Um, so that's been um, one steady factor in the background. And then uh, there's a big change in the manufacturing industry around the turn of the century, uh, you know, um, 2015, 20 years ago, when uh, some of my students decided to start making the cells in China. And uh, that just sort of ended, we entered a completely new era of cost reduction after that occurred. 
And then the third contributor is technology. And um, as you mentioned in the, in the introduction, Perk has now taken over the industry. And um, that is also helping to drive down costs, not only because of the improved efficiency, but um, the increased functionality of Perk, like you can do bifacial modules and you can use much larger wafers in the processing and cut them down into smaller bits at the end. So there's probably those three factors, I think, are the really important ones that have led us to where we are today with, you know, in an era of extremely low costs. It's amazing to follow the trajectory, isn't it? And, and, and to see these factors coming in and out. And again, I'm going to drift off, off script. I apologize. But, you know, I remember very, very early on in the days uh, when I was involved in PV manufacturing on the on the um, I was never I was never a technician. Uh, let's be clear about that. I was always on the sales and marketing side, but I was very fortunate to visit lots of factories and always had the factories at BP Solar bringing new technology out saying, hey, we've got this new, we've got this new cell or we're going to build this new factory. And, and along the way, some of them didn't survive, Martin. Uh, laser grooved buried contact being one of them, the sliver dot cells being another. You know, why, why do some technologies not make it and others survive? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in photovoltaics, it may be a little bit unusual, but the, the whole industry seems to have to get on board with the technology. So with the um, buried contact cell that BP marketed as its Saturn product for, um, you know, 15 years or something like that, mm. um, you know, BP was the only one really selling that technology in volume. So all the develop, developmental work and the specialized equipment you needed and everything had to be done by BP. Whereas now with the perk, the whole industry's decided that's the way to go. So you've got, you know, dozens of equipment companies vying with each other to supply better and better equipment for making perk, and the material suppliers are trying to produce wafers and things that work well with perk. So you've got the the whole industry working with you. So you know, to um, to go out on a limb with a unique technology can be a recipe for disaster within photovoltaics. <laughs> you know, I think that's what history shows. It's it's uh, it's a gamble. I was talking to a manufacturer uh, recently, actually, and talking to them about some new lines they'd got. And, uh, you know, he was sort of nervously saying, oh, I hope we've got the right equipment because this move in this industry moves so fast. You um, you recently gave a, a really fascinating uh, online presentation uh, with predictions uh, that blew my mind that costs were going to continue to fall. Um, uh, to a staggering new low, in fact. What's this new low that you're talking about and how are we going to get there? Yeah, well, I, I keep track of um, what's called the average selling price, which is re really like a factory gate price in China. But um, people ring up the manufacturers every week and find out what they reckon they're selling their gear for. But... Um, you know, and, and at the moment, it's saying a perk module sells for, you know, about 20 cents a watt. But um, if you just plot the history of those um, reported average selling prices, it turns out they're decreasing at about 20% a year. So that means in, you know, three or four years, you're down to, to half the price. So in three or four years, if, you know, if you just continue the trajectory that the industry's been on for at least the eight years. And I think before then, the price reduction was even quicker. You know, we should get to uh, 10 cents a watt within the next three or four years, unless something untoward happens. 
And there's plenty of technology in the pipeline, I think, with the introduction of PERC and all its attributes yet to be fully exploited that's going to help drive those costs down. So I feel quite confident we'll get to 10 cents a watt, certainly hope the coming decade, but I think definitely within the first half of the decade uh, that's coming up. Holy smoke, 10 cents a watt, folks. You heard it here from from uh, the granddaddy of solar who knows stuff. So get ready for that. Do you predict, uh, Martin, that there are going to be major technological changes? We've seen the introduction, of course, of PERC, and, and that's become, as you say, ubiquitous across the industry now. We've started to see shingle products. We've seen large format products. You know, what what's coming down the pipeline along with this 10 cents of what uh, um, uh, ASP that we're going to see that solar installers might need to be ready for. How's, how's the technology going to change? Yeah, well, definitely, um, you know, Perk has, Perk has opened up sort of flood grates of uh, creativity within the manufacturing industry. So, you know, we were, all of a sudden we're seeing these big modules and bifacial modules is the other one, but, you know, probably not so much for residential systems. But, uh, you know, that's something that's Perk's made possible. But I'm, I'm quite intrigued by the uh, possibility of um, these bigger bigger wafers and bigger modules. So I guess the industry's um, diverging in that in the past, you know, one product suited all just to keep inventory costs down. So a residential module was pretty much the same as a open rack mounted module for big, you know, multi-megawatt installations. But I think we're going to see uh, diversification so that there's going, it's already happening, I believe, manufacturers are now concentrating on modules for residential use and then different modules for open rack field installations. So I think that could lead to a big change. So, you know, for residential use, you probably really want a module that a couple of people could carry up a ladder to install or something like that. But for... Um, Field mounting, you know, you might be looking at modules that grow enormously um, bigger than what we're seeing today. We've seen we've seen a bit of this in the past. It's an interesting point that you make because uh, I know uh, in some of my work with manufacturers over the years, uh, when I was consulting, you know, I watched manufacturers desperate to steer solar installers towards certain types of products for certain types of applications, and it's 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 been a tough sell, if I'm honest. It's it's been really hard for them to get. Uh, installers to recognise that we're going to have different products that are better suited to different applications, but that's that's changing over time. I'm sure the first solar panel I sold was was 60 watts and and cost my customer twenty dollars a watt. And um, you know today we're we're already in the realm of twenty cents a watt. You're forecasting we're going to be at ten cents a watt uh, before long. But for a solar installer, you know, doing a, a megawatt a year, they, they've got to sell more panels to get the same revenue, um, which is quite a challenge. And, and I've seen this happen over the years as costs fall. You need to do more of the same work uh, or same volume of work to get the same revenue into your business. And you've got to adjust your, your margins along the way. Um how fast is this really going to happen? You're talking three, four years. You know, how solid is that, Martin? Do you, do you, do you, are there risks around that? Could it take 10 years or could it take one year? 
Yeah, yeah, there are some risks. Like at the moment, we're having a shortage of, well, we've just come through a period where there's a shortage of glass for modules. And then the polysilicon, a couple of fires in factories and things, you know, wiped out 10% of the world's production of polysilicon. So you, um, you've, you've been in a period over the last uh, three or four months where prices haven't continued to come down, but have mm. uh, gone up, if anything. Um, mm. But so there's little hiccups like that. But the feeling is they're just temporary hiccups and there's dozens of companies reporting um, scaling up their polysilicon production volumes and all this and new companies entering the field so that you know we're going to be uh, we're going to be swamped with polysilicon probably later on this year or next wow. year so you know so these um you get these fluctuations but I think there's enough um, uh, improvements still in the pipeline to um, to see the cost come down at least that additional factor of two to to ten cents or what. You know, like it seems a bit of a stretch to me to get down to five cents, but you know, like I think if you get down to ten cents quite comfortably over the first part of this decade, you know, five cents is definitely on the horizon as uh, where you might be able to get to in the longer term. Good grief! Good grief! It's remarkable, and and um, so Moore's. You're talking about Moore's law here, which is this this perpetual cost reduction with scale and everything else. So. Ten cents isn't the floor, then. There's scope to go further than further down than ten cents. You're saying, right? Yeah, I, I feel really quite confident we'll get to ten cents over the coming decade, and and probably over the first half of it. So this this is um, sort of like headline figures. You know, not what you could get, for, what not what you'd pay for a module delivered here in Australia, for example, in you know moderate volumes. But still, um, it it is a forerunner of what. Uh, you will be able to get in smaller volumes in the future, I guess. But I, I think we'll, we'll we'll see these headline figures of uh, ten cents a watt in the first half of this uh, decade, and uh, definitely within the decade. Amazing, amazing, and 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 again, I'm forgive me, Martin. I'm going to drift off script for a moment because you're giving me so many good ideas. But what's what's on your horizon? What what what's coming next in in the labs? What are you working on that you think is going to contribute uh, uh, m most significantly to the next generation of PV modules and the next leap in performance and the next leap in cost reduction? Your, you and your team have been so um, uh, instrumental in helping drive these cost reductions and performance improvements. And, you know, there was always this, this battle when I was within BP Solar between do we try and drive efficiency up so that we get more watts per square meter, which lowers the installed cost, or do we just try and drive prices down by going for economy of scale and cheaper materials? What's, what's coming down the pipe from your guys? Yeah, no, like I think the really big problem to crack in photovoltaics and um, the most important research problem, you know, for us researchers to concentrate on is is developing tandem cells. And, um, you know, that's where you stack a cell of higher band gap, you know, onto silicon. And uh, I think if you stack it onto silicon, you've got a natural market entry. You, you know, the existing manufacturers can easily... Uh, incorporate such a product into their existing manufacturing facilities, just a couple of add-on steps to deposit another cell probably as a thin film layer on top of the silicon cell. So there's a lot of interest in the moment. There's a, probably most people involved with solar have heard of perovskites. So they've been quite yes, remarkable. We, we, 
The, the Giles and I talk about perovskites all the time. It's it's held enormous promise, and there've been a lot of lot of records broken, and a lot of sort of milestones made recently, including some fascinating ones. I can't remember what it was, but there was some really innocuous and inert um, finding that helped to lower the degradation rate of perovskites. And uh, uh, so, is that where where is that the next big step? Do you think? Well, it would be great, I think, if it was, but um, the perovskites have a couple of problems and one of them, the biggest one, I think, which is, a, you know, the real killer is the stability. So uh -huh. if you look at uh, reports of data coming from the field for fielded perovskite modules, you're flat out finding any module that has maintained, you know, performance within 20% of its starting value, you know, after a, after a month in the field or even a few weeks in the field. So, wow. um, you know, a lot of the testing results you see are just testing under one parameter and things like that rather than in actual field conditions. So uh, th there's a really serious problem. It's not just slightly unstable compared to where it needs to be. It's orders of magnitude more unstable. So, uh, you know, I was hoping that someone could find a way of, of fixing that problem. But, you know, there's definitely been improvements. Uh, but they're more like linear improvements where you need exponential improvements. You need a major change in, in the properties of the material. So many people are working on it. So there's still a chance that problem will be solved. Um, mm. But if you do solve that problem, no one's found a way of getting the lead out of the perovskite cells. So they're about 30% lead in the, um, in the absorber material that, you, that the perovskite um, compound is based on. So oh, that, wow. So, you know, you've got um, problems with lead and I think eventually, you know, as solar is installed in larger and larger volumes and more and more people become involved with them, you're going to have to have a um, environmentally uh, clean material. Um, so I think the pressure to restrict yourself to um, clean materials is going to increase with time so that if you got into right. manufacturing perovskites, you know, it, it might be a short-lived uh, manufacturing future as your market closed down as different countries started banning their use. So, wow. so it's it's not not the perfect material. So we're we're trying to find a material that um, you know works as well as the perovskites, but doesn't involve toxic materials and is stable. So that's the um, two key criteria. Because we've seen this happen over time. I know, again, going back, going back to my BP days, we uh, we used to produce a CDTE, cadmium ditelluride um, thin film module. We also had amorphous thin film modules uh, coming out of different plants. We had the enormous, uh, you know, uh, polysilicon versus monosilicon battles that went on for years. And, and you know, when you look at the statistics now, what's used around the world, uh, the thin film modules have largely gone by the wayside, it would seem. And, and you know, despite the lower inherent efficiency of polysilicon cells, uh, the PERC uh, uh, technology that you guys have developed has elevated them right to the fore. Uh, what happened to thin film? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. Um, I guess the two leading contenders, you know, um, cadmium telluride and the SIGs, the copper, indium, gallium, diselenide, uh, both had a problem in that they involved um, scarce materials like tellurium in the case of cadmium telluride and uh, indium in the case of SIGs. So I, I did, I had looked at this quite closely, you know, about a decade or so ago, but it seemed to me that there wasn't enough indium or tellurium available, you know, on the likely timescales that'd be needed to do more than about 30 gigawatts a year of 
photovoltaics. And many people think we're going to hit 200 gigawatts a year this year in manufacturing volume. <laughs> so, you know, you, it would be those two materials would be restricted to a small share of the market, even if they had been successfully commercialized. So, um, yeah, of course, you don't have that problem with silicon. And the introduction of PERC has has shifted the emphasis almost entirely to monocrystalline rather than the polycrystalline silicon. So, you know, according to some market uh, researchers I listened to recently, they, they say that the only um, operating polysilicon lines are now in India. Um, the Chinese have completely dropped polysilicon um, module production. So anything coming out of China that's polysilicon is, is old stock. Wow. Wow. The, the, I mean, oh, I spent so many years in the trenches, uh, Martin. And of course, when, when BP Solar and SolarX merged, SolarX were renowned for their uh, groundbreaking historical work in the polysilicon field. And BP Solar had always focused on mono. And we had to find a way to jam this product mixed together. And it was very tricky because the entire market, even to this day, I still hear salespeople saying, oh, you know, you got to go you got to go poly because of this, or you got to go mono because of that. But almost the entire world now is mono perk, right? Yeah, yeah. So according to um, one of the market companies, PB Tech, who I listened to a talk by one of their guys recently, and uh, their analysis is that 90.8% of the market last year was perk. And um, they maintain that 95% will be perk this year. Um, monocrystalline almost entirely of that 95%. So that's including the thin films. So the the thin films and um, non-perk silicon technology had that other 5% to fight over. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So uh, let's, let's just, let's go to the future a little bit and, and, and talk about, again, I, what I'm really trying to look for here is, you know, what a, what do solar companies need to be aware of? So we know where the, where the price is likely to go and, and they're going to have to look to um, generate revenues and generate profits potentially in other ways because it isn't going to come from solar cells when they get to 10 cents a watt. They're going to have to find other ways to cover their overheads. What What's your most controversial prediction um, of what's going to happen? What's going to change in the next few years that if, if you're a solar company, you should be prepared for Martin. Is it, you know, uh, it, it, around the edges of, of, of PV modules, what else do you see coming down the pipeline that's going to make big changes? Yeah, well, I, I guess, um, you know, batteries, battery prices are coming down as quick as solar. So, you know, I think batteries are going to play a more important role definitely in the in, you know, mixed up with solar. So that's a way of boosting revenue. And I think, um, you know, Tesla in the US are now only selling solar systems with their batteries. So I guess that's a model for um, installers to look at. Um, and, uh, you know, like bigger systems, um, you know, with the price coming down, like I've put in three different solar systems on my homes, um, you know, every 10 years, it seems to be a high upgrade. But my first one was one kilowatt and that cost 20,000. That was back in 1999. My, my second one was three kilowatts and that cost 20,000. That was in 2009. And now I'm looking at putting 14 kilowatts on my roof. And that, that's going to cost about that too. I haven't got the final figure yet, but I'm expecting wow. it. Wow. So, so I guess everyone's going to bigger systems now because it's so affordable. So I guess yeah. that's one one way each job is going to be bigger. 
So yeah. rather than doing one kilowatt like you're doing at the turn of the century, you'll be doing, you know, tens of kilowatts. I remember, I remember we used to have a half kilowatt system on our price list back when I was at BP Solar, which we thought was fabulous. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> don't things change? Um, Dr. Martin Green, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure having you as a guest on Solar Business this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Nigel. It's been great talking to you as well. Good on you, mate. Um, well, that's a wrap, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to our special guest and thanks to our sponsors, of course. My name is Nigel Morris and I'm your host. Please tune in again in a fortnight for the next episode of Great Solar Business. Great Solar Business was brought to you by Solar Juice, Australia's leading solar distributor. Solar Juice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let Solar Juice help you become a great solar business. Solar Juice.